I'm Leah Bowden, and this is the Modern Miss Mason podcast. From the beginning, they were just brought along with everything we did, you know, and I had to do work all the time from home. I've always worked other jobs while being a mom, being a homeschool mom. And so I know it's possible and I know it's really hard to juggle, um, but it can work. And it's um, really just, I think, about bringing your children along. And I think there's value in them seeing that we do other things, you know, that we have these other jobs and passions and that it's for, it's for the good of our family. We've chosen these businesses so that we can actually have more freedom and do the things that um, we feel passionate about giving to the world, you know, using our gifts in the world. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Miss Mason podcast. Well, spring has finally and officially sprung. We've just passed the vernal equinox, and I'm glad to say we all made it through the winter. I've got this beautiful old book called The Kitchen Window, which has seasonal illustrations, recipes, and even advice for home life in each season of the year. And on the first day of spring, the advice in this book is that you start spring cleaning as early as possible in the day. Well, I'll leave it up to you to decipher if I heeded their advice or not, or if I wisely flick straight to the Easter recipe section. I hope our conversations around growth with these inspiring women have been helpful to you so far. My life has certainly become richer and sweeter with every conversation. As I've been studying and writing about Miss Mason's notion of atmosphere for my book over the past couple of weeks, I've been blown away by the requirement for a focus on our inner life our mind and our hearts in order to cultivate a delectable atmosphere for our children. The idea of atmosphere within the Charlotte Mason philosophy takes us to a space-like outer experience, which speaks of breathing in what's already there. Miss Mason talks about the atmosphere being filled with the ideas that rule our lives, which are drawn upon breathed in and patterned by our children, but not necessarily seen by the parent. The atmospheres of our homes are built upon years of intrinsic ideas from our own family, our beliefs about faith and the future, political views, the news we read, the books we savour, and the parts of life we value and hold dear. Charlotte Mason believed this atmosphere was key to a child's education, whether in the classroom or at home, and that the parent or educator must do their utmost to create and cultivate their own lives in order for the children under their care to thrive and learn. Part of our growth is to consider and to build our inner lives in order to care for the atmosphere our children are being raised and educated in. Today's guest is the lovely Christine Bailey, and she is a wonderful example of a mother who carefully considers the atmosphere of her home. Christine is a mom to two daughters. She's a farmer and a writer. They have 17 acres in Santa Fe, Tennessee, where they raise organic produce, flowers, bees and chickens in a sustainable way that heals the land and grows into beautiful food. They also gather community at long farm tables under the stars at their seasonal kindred dinners. Christine and her husband, Steve, believe life is meant to be shared in community. You can hear this through our chat today, and I know you'll be richer for engaging in our conversation today. Listen in. Christine, it's so amazing to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for taking time out of farm life and um, spending a few moments with me. I'm so glad you said yes. Thank you so much, Leah. I'm so excited to be here and talk with you. 
So why don't you take a couple of minutes, just why don't you introduce yourself, your family, and um, I think what people are interested in at the moment is what do your days look like <laughs> at yeah. the moment during all that we're going through? What does it look like for your family? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am a homeschool mom of two daughters. Uh, they're 10 and 7. And then I'm also an organic produce farmer in Tennessee. And um a first-time author. So I just finished writing my first book. Um, so I've got my hands in lots of different things. My days look different every single day. Um, I'm married to a chef, Stephen. Um, so he's a private chef for clients all over the Nashville area. So we live really close to Nashville, um, less than an hour. Um, and so he does that as his full-time work. And um, we have a commercial kitchen here on the farm. So our family is really together a lot. We do um, most of our work here on the farm. Um, we host farm to table dinners and we have a farm store here, um, here on Kindred Farm. And so we're actually in a, an adorable little town called Santa Fe, Tennessee. So it's, it's spelled like Santa Fe, New Mexico, but pronounced Santa Fe. Um, that's kind of fun. We, we actually put that in a mural on our barn. <laughs> Yeah, but we we moved here um, the end of December 2016. Um, before that, we lived in Dallas, Texas for 11 years, and um, we started a citywide organic produce co-op in Dallas. Um, we had an urban farm in the city, a quarter acre farmstead with bees on the roof and bunnies and chickens, and then an organic market where we sold all local Texas products. So that's kind of how our family started working with farmers and just really um, became interested in the local food movement. And so um, at the end of 2015, we decided that we'd love to try our hand at farming and just kind of take all that knowledge that we had and working with farmers and decided to start our own farm. And um, I had actually gone to Belmont University, which is in Nashville, and was just itching to return to the Middle Tennessee area. It's just gorgeous here, like rolling hills and four seasons and just a much better environment for us for um, beginning a farm. And so we did that and we've been building the farm since then. And um, yeah, so it's been really, really beautiful. We love it out here so much. So did you, is, did you, either of you have a farming background or a childhood in that kind of environment? How did you, I can't even <laughs> imagine just kind of suddenly finding yourself in that kind of life. I, I just find it fascinating and incredibly inspiring, but can you tell us a bit about your upbringing? Yeah, I actually had zero farming experience before. Um, we moved here, just kind of what we learned from working with farmers in Texas, but I'd never actually farmed. We did always have a backyard garden um, in Texas, and that's kind of where we started digging our hands in the soil and just really finding the beauty of being a part of growing things. And um, so I did have that experience, but farming was completely foreign to me. It's on a whole nother level to actually build um, you know, it's a, it's different than gardening. You're doing it on a much larger scale and there's so many skills you have to learn. So, um, my husband's mom, so we have kind of a mixed heritage in our family. Um, my, my husband's mom was born in South Korea on a, um, potato and rice farm. So she grew up in farming. And then my husband's dad grew up on a tobacco farm in North Carolina. Wow. So, he really has that in his blood. And then my grandfather is an immigrant from Sicily. Um, he came through Ellis Island. Um, so my dad is a first generation American. So, and he was very, you know, um, grew tomato gardens, like turned his entire yard, backyard in New Jersey, where I grew up into um, a, a giant garden. And so I know that it was in my blood, but I just, I hadn't, didn't really have any experience with it until we started the farm. Um, so- wow. Yeah. And so when we first moved here, my husband actually got a job before we, before we found our land, um, he worked on a farm locally and just got even more experience. And then, um, yeah, then our first day of farming here on our land, I just showed up and I was like, all right, well, I have no idea what to do next. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing because it, it's, it's fascinating to me. I find it, um, there's almost a, this romantic ideal of farm life. I mean, my 10 year old the other day said, I want to live on a farm one day. And I said, do you want to do the work of the farm or just live in a farmhouse? She's like, live in the farmhouse. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. 
very different and because we as a society as a western society we don't all have that necessity to grow our own food anymore and really coming out of the second world war when i mean they had this the war effort was grow food grow food and we've come so far from away from that like generations now don't even get that you know it's almost a novelty whereas then this movement of kind of slow food and farming and localized food and, and, and recognizing the health and uh, the, the benefits of all that, mind, body and soul, we're seeing and even here in the UK, seeing a rise of that. And I just think it's so important. Um, but it, I mean, we'll get into this, but I'm fascinated to know how you know, the impact on you as a woman, as a mother, as a, as a learner, but we'll get to that. So pause on that, but my, my okay. mind is going in a million different places already, <laughs> but I would, I'd love to know, um, tell us a little bit about your journey into homeschooling before we jump into more of your farming life. Like what, what made you want to homeschool? Kind of what did that look like in the beginning? Yeah, well, um, I did not go, I went to a public school my whole life uh, growing up. So I really wasn't that familiar with homeschooling. Um, you know, back then in the 90s, there wasn't really, homeschooling wasn't really, um, as it didn't have as many opportunities as it does now. And so I really didn't know any kids that were homeschooled. Um, so that really was not my experience at all growing up. Both my parents worked full time. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, you know, in the Northeast part of the United States, a lot more expensive to live there. So a lot of they're just homeschooling wasn't as prominent because so many parents, you know, both had to work full time. Um, but when I um, thought about becoming a mother and before we even had children, I just, I really started researching it and it was becoming more prominent and there were a lot more opportunities out there. And I just knew that it was something I wanted to do with my children. Um, I really wanted to be present with them. I wanted to be the one that was there um, through all the different life stages and those, um, those kind of benchmarks and learning. And I love learning. I love always learning new things and reading and being out in nature. And so I knew that I wanted to do that with my children. And thankfully, Stephen was totally on board, um, you know, at owning our own businesses and being entrepreneurs for so many years. I think one of the big appeals to him was we can really foster that with our children and um, provide them the freedom to learn like what they're really good at and what they're passionate about and have the freedom and time to pursue those things. So that was definitely one of the big appeals as well. Um, and so we started homeschooling back in Dallas um, when my, from the, the very beginning. So my daughter that's now 10, um, we started with preschool with her. Um, and, you know, some of our values from the beginning have just um, always been, you know, creating togetherness as a family, really cultivating that connection with each other. And you just get that when you spend so much time together. Mm -hmm. um, and then a love of learning, you know, like I said, I just, I always am one that's like reading and soaking up new things. And I just, I really enjoy that. And I wanted that to be something that was a love for my children and not a drudgery or something they have to do, you know, to check a box or take a test, which was kind of more my experience in, um, public school, you know, first, there are so many benefits, but for me personally, I just was that achiever type that, yeah. you know, I got A's and really good grades, but I really just memorized things for the test so I could get a good grade and didn't really retain much. So um, that's something I really wanted to do differently with my family. Um, and then, yeah, just learning those real life skills. So really the focus of giving our girls something more rather than keeping them from something. Um, so that's really been kind of, that's, what that's really good. I love that. I think that's something that I'm sure will resonate with many people. It's not yeah. keeping our children from something. It's adding something else to their lives. And, yeah. and, and I think that's such a beautiful perspective because often, um, non-homeschoolers, non-home educators, when they haven't got an understanding of what it means. I mean, you know, so many of the world have had to pandemic school. <laughs> um, they've had to be forced into kind of online schooling. And I know here in the UK, everyone's calling it homeschooling. But actually, you know, and there's almost this, this misconception that kids are missing out on something. So I love what you said there, you know, and it, it must have worked so beautifully with your lifestyle and your, your, um, you know, raising the children 
within an environment where you work hard and you um you yeah. know really honor learning and how how have they how has that worked with working the land which you can't just take a day off from <laughs> and and raising daughters how does that look yeah, I think from the beginning, you know, even before we moved to Tennessee and started a farm, we owned our our business in Dallas, our produce co-op and our market and cafe. And really just from the beginning, they were just brought along with everything we did, you know, and I had to do work all the time from home. I've always worked other jobs while being a mom, being a homeschool mom. And so I know it's possible and I know it's really hard to juggle. Um but it can work. And it's um, really just, I think, about bringing your children along. And I think there's value in them seeing that we do other things, you know, that we have these other jobs and passions and that it's for, it's for the good of our family. We've chosen these businesses so that we can actually have more freedom and do the things that um, we feel passionate about giving to the world, you know, using our gifts in the world. And so I hope that they're seeing that along the way. And just as they're observing and, and having little jobs and little role, you know, I say jobs, but just like helper jobs, you know, ways they can be involved. Um, yeah. Hopefully that's valuable for them and in, in seeing like what they enjoy. And um, like my, my youngest daughter loves at our farm store, giving tours to people that come. She's just like the more extroverted one. And she Love loves <laughs> Yeah, she loves being that person. And then my older daughter's a little bit more reserved. So she loves making the table look beautiful and organizing things. And so they're kind of starting, you're starting to see like um, how they're developing in their um, life skills and like maybe what they'll enjoy doing one day when they're adults. But um, but yeah, as far as farming goes, um, they are welcome to help in what we do. And um, we give them little jobs that they can even like earn money, you know, like just like earn some little um, money to buy whatever they want and just kind of start getting those those skills of like, we work hard and there's a reward for that. Yeah. And then we also rest really hard. You know, we, we carve out that time on Sundays to really rest. So work hard, play hard is like one of our big mottos here. On the farm. Um. But yeah, they're, I would just say they're really along our side in, in, in much of what we do. And I wouldn't, I don't think we would have chosen this kind of life if um, we couldn't have included them a lot in what we do here. So. Oh, I love it. That's yeah. amazing. And um, yeah, and I, I know a few people who have a, a similar lifestyle. I'm very inspired by bringing the children alongside, but yet also honoring their childhood and, and their yeah. individual gifts and needs and time and um, it sounds like you you just do that so well, Christine. Um, oh. Now tell us, a, I, I kind of want to get an insight into you as a, as a woman, as a mother, and you said already you love learning, you love reading, and I, again, I can imagine this kind of farming and homeschooling and feeding and raising children. Yeah. There's almost this feeling of being stretched quite thin anyway in motherhood. Yes. So how have you manage to you know hold on to who you are your identity uh, as well as cultivate your own interests because we are going to talk about your writing in a moment but how have you done that have you got any tips around that for us yeah that is a really good question I think it is so important and um yeah we are all stretched thin in different ways you know even if we're not working another job I think all you know all mothers are stretched thin and then when we choose to homeschool we're really adding we're choosing to add more to our plates to um you know have our children at home and educate them at home and so one of the things I've done just since the very beginning when I had babies um and then into preschoolers is I realized that I that I had to build in my own interests and things that feed my own soul into my parenting days and then into my homeschooling days so um for example, I need nature. Like I have to be outside. I have to get fresh air. Um, and that's something that I know I need every single day in some form or fashion. So from the beginning, I would just take my babies along with me. You know, we take walks through our, at that time we lived in an urban neighborhood. And so taking those walks in the neighborhood, meeting up with other moms that also needed the same thing and, and just feeling so much more filled up um, on those days and able to be a better mom that I was doing that. And then, you know, also art, like I need art and creativity. Um, 
So from the very beginning, we would do art projects together. And it was as much for me as it was for them, you know, like they had fun painting and, um, you know, building things and doing crafts, but it was also an, as much for me, like um, doing those with them, I felt so filled up and still do when we do that. And it's kind of created a, you know, it does kind of create the culture of your home and the culture of your homeschool with the things that you value. Um, uh, you know, reading aloud has always been, I, I love doing that and I enjoy that. And so um, building that into our homeschool, but um, I just think if we can't build those things in, then we just, we have to do it to stay alive. You know, we have to do that to stay healthy with our families. Um, and, you know, now that my girls are a bit older, they are seeing me kind of pursue this writing life. And, you know, I, I've written this whole time, ever since my girls were little, I had a blog that I started way before I even had children. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote that whole time because I knew I needed to do that for me. And that was just a creative outlet I needed. So I think that I think what we need to realize as women, like, and as mothers, like we can't put on hold, um, the things that really, um, keep our souls alive, yeah. but that actually keeping those things alive is what helps us be better moms. Um, and with that, so there's, there's this, um, kind of picture of when our children are younger, you can almost add into the rhythm of the day and the homeschooling yeah. things that cultivate your soul as well. But as they grow older mm -hmm. and they become, I don't know, they sleep longer, especially I've got yeah. teenagers, they sleep a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, you can kind of top and tail the day a little bit more. You have got more space. I think I'm always wanting to say to young mums, it doesn't always look this way. It will yeah. change. They will sleep. <laughs> you will have you know they will be able to play by themselves and I I I've enjoyed what you said there because it's kind of like well I I made sure that my soul was being fed and cultivated mm -hmm. whilst they were young and I've now been able to advance that almost and I, I can relate to that I think I've done a similar thing I think that's what I appreciate so much about learning about the Charlotte Mason philosophy over the years mm -hmm. has been you know my uh, natural my personality leans towards art and music mm -hmm. and literature and nature and thankfully my children have come alive in that too but I've always created space for them you know for them to be able to express themselves as well within that uh, but it's kind of sneaky a little bit isn't it Christine when you just slip things in that you love <laughs> I love it <laughs> but it's all for a good reason um you know <laughs> I wanted to share this quote by Sally Clarkson. I know we all love her, um, but she said this quote on her podcast one time and it was so good. I pulled over the side of the road and had to write it down. And I've just thought about it so many times over the years, but um, it really says it all. She says, a wise woman takes care of her soul and we do have agency. We have the ability to cultivate joy, to cultivate delight and to light a candle in our darkness so we can stay alive we have the ability to roll up our sleeves and write a great story. Um, and I just love that. I've thought about that so many times. It's like a wise woman takes care of her soul because she knows she has to pour out of that. That's right. And we have, and we have the agency and the ability to do that, but we have to take responsibility um, to make sure we're taken care of so that we can teach our children well. And um, you know, and walk alongside them in their own interests. If we're not taking care of that ourselves and not going yeah. after things that we're passionate about, we can't really model that for them either. It, that's an amazing quote. And I, you're right. We have to, it's almost acknowledging, acknowledging when you're tired, acknowledging when there's yeah. too much going on and being real about those things, yes. but also managing our expectations. And I, I went through phases of mothering where I was, I had really high expectations of myself of things I wanted to do on top of raising four children and managing a home. And I, I, they were the times when I was kind of being myself up, you know, like, um, just I'm tired. I've got so yeah. much to do, you know, and I ended up sounding a little bit moany and <laughs> we've all been there. Oh, I know. And we have, and there's, you know, there's, I'm sure, so many people can relate to that kind of feeling but that recognizing that I, yeah agency we have agency I get to do something I get to to create this to to carve out some time even if it's five minutes I was talking um 
recently with Christy Purify about, about this. She was saying just those couple of minutes of a chapter of a book or a, a poem or, you know, smell the roses in your garden. I'm sure she does that last, but just yeah, that idea awesome. of something that switches your brain slightly mm. uh, from that feeling of woe and into wonder, really. That's really what we I need to that. do, isn't it? Yes, I love that, that feeling of wonder. And the thing is, you know, you're right. We we have different seasons of life. So I know that I'm sure there's moms listening that are like just buried in, you know, so yeah. many tasks, really tiny children. And it might seem daunting to be like, how could I ever, you know, do this for myself? But I think you're right. I couldn't have written an entire book back then. Um, that wasn't the season for it. And I wouldn't have said yes to it then. Cause I couldn't, I don't think I could have done it without sacrificing too much. Yeah. Um, you know, the reason I said yes to that now is because it is a little bit different of a season. And I, I do have a little bit more freedom and margin for that. Um, but back then you're right. It's like those little moments are like the one hour I could get away. My husband could, you know, be with our girls for an hour and I could just go to a coffee shop and, and have a, a warm drink and journal for an hour and read a little, a little of a book and go back home yeah. and, you know, or even just do it in my bedroom, little things like that really matter. But I think we can get so caught up in the day and not take the time to carve that out. And we have to take the opportunity to carve out that time for ourselves. We, we absolutely do. I think that's great advice. And I think that really this message has been like a golden thread through this season of the podcast is women saying, we know it's hard. We know you're tired. Uh, yeah. But hey, here are a few tips just to cultivate your soul, to keep yeah. you holding on, because it doesn't always look this way. And we can thrive in those years when our babies are little and we've got toddlers on our knees and we don't know what day it is or if you've washed your hair. Yes, yes. I remember them well. And mm -hmm. we honour that stage. We honour the mothers who are listening and they're in the, the trenches of that. And it is, um, it is an, it's a privilege and it's a glorious time. So I love that quote from Sally. I'll put that into the, um, oh, good. To the yeah. podcast notes. Definitely, I'll fish that one out. Now, I, I love the word kindred. You've already said it. Your farm is called Kindred Farm. Um, what does it mean to you? And, you know, how, why did you name the farm that? Kind of how have you outworked that in your lives? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've been a writer and a lover of words my whole life. And I just have always loved the word kindred. I love kind of what it conjures up and um, it means family or tribe. And it's really been a word that's characterized my entire life together with Stephen. Um, we've always just had this community of people that we've invited in and all the different places we lived, you know, from a tiny condo to our home in Dallas to our farmhouse now, we've just always been people gatherers. That's just been kind of part of our nature and a common vision and goal that we've always had together. And so Kindred just means a life of connection with people in an intimate, authentic way. And so when I thought about what I really wanted for our farm, that word just came to mind. I was like, this is exactly how I want people to feel when they come to our farm, wow. um, that when they step foot here, you know, I really believe this land was given to us for a reason. And, um, you know, we're not really called to go out to all these different farmers markets. We really feel that drawing people here to the land is, is our kind of our lane and our goal. And so that they can be more connected to creation, to their to themselves, to the land and to each other. Um, and that they would just feel a sense of peace here. And it's really beautiful because over and over again, we hear people say that. And um, it's just such a gift that we can share that with them and kind of cultivate that connection in um, our farm store on Saturday mornings. It's so beautiful bringing the community here and, um, and just the way that people walk around the farm, no one's ever in a hurry. And it's neat to, you know, be able to have space for them to stroll through the wildflower fields, um, look at the butterflies, go up and look at the bee colonies on the hill, walk through the greenhouses. Um, we have a bunch of tree swings and climbing things in this little um, grove of trees, and we call it the forest of fun. Wow. So that's a fun little place for kids when they come to the farm store to go and play out there. And, you know, a lot of the people that come here live in the city and 
or in the suburbs, like the dense suburbs. And so it's really um, a place where people can just kind of exhale and amazing. Oh, just have some space. And so that was also kind of what we, um, our vision was with our farm dinners is um, drawing people together in this, um, just this beautiful community where um, we have these long communal tables and, you know, our dinners have gotten up to 150 people at each one and sitting at a table with people, you don't, you might never have uh, shared a meal with before. And it's really, really neat to see the conversations that come out of that and the friendships that come out of that. Um, and it's kind of rare that we don't really, um, do that often. And so we just really feel called to provide the space for that. Um, for people to connect in that way and really slow down so that they can, um, um, you know, just natural conversations can unfold. Like we really have to have time um, to be able to do that. So sounds magical. Absolutely yeah. magical. What an amazing place. And yeah. how um, how wonderful to kind of see your dreams fulfilled, knowing you've worked so hard to get there. Um, yeah, it is really fulfilling. And you know, I do want to say that kindred on a personal level, like just in the way we live, you know, not in our business, but just the way we live our lives with our friends. Um, you know, it really means just um, creating space for those close face-to-face relationships. And I think that's something we've seen just so clearly over the last year with everything that's gone on is there are certain things that just people cannot live without. Mm. And flesh and blood connection is just one of those things. And we can't, we can't live without it in some way. And people are really just, um, realizing, you know, the, I think what COVID has done is really bring to the surface the things that we need as humans, Mm. um, that are kind of non-negotiables. And, um, so, you know, kindred really is how we live with just our friends, just on a normal daily basis and kind of welcoming people in, in an authentic way, in a vulnerable way, really having time to have longer conversations like over dinner, like making dinner together, not as a performance of hosting, but um, making a meal together and then sharing it and having a couple hours to do that. And it takes a real intentional carving out of time, but I think it's all about the priorities that we, that we have in our lives, you know, and, and setting up our lives so that we have room for those important relationships. Mm. Oh, I love that. I know uh, I, I was just about to mention Kyle and I thought, I think I've mentioned yes. Kyle. I think I've mentioned her in every podcast. She's like, <laughs> she's like this game I play now. Like how many times can I get Kyle's name? I've, she's obviously a friend to everyone, but um, obviously you and I met in 2017 at the Wild and Free Conference in um, Franklin because of Kyle. Her and I had not even met in person. So I met you in person before I met Kyle. <laughs> but oh, no. what, and, yeah. you live close, and then you realize that you're only living like an hour away or something really cool. Yeah. Well, like an hour away, not that we've been able to see each other, which is so hard. But what you just described there is a, everything I love about being with her, you know, just being around her kitchen, get like kind of chopping next to her or just sat and having a coffee while watching her cook and it all happening in the and then sitting down together and eating there's something so yeah kindred is absolutely um I love the idea of using that word within friendships and how you do your life so I can see I can see the attraction there I can see how you two would have a great time together (laughs) yeah so Kyle is my friend back from Dallas yeah and we lived life together there for so many years before she moved um, actually back to Tennessee, to this area that I live in now where she grew up and then on to England, but oh my goodness, Kyle is just, she embodies kindred to me. I mean, we have shared so many meals together and, and just, yeah, just that beauty of living authentic life together, um, around the table and providing space for those conversations. And, um, it's just been just such a major part of our friendship. And, you know, she lived in Italy, so she would bring, you know, these special Italian wines or cheese oh. that she put on her trip and we'd make something fun with it. Um, but yeah, I miss her so much. And I'm so glad that hopefully you'll get to see each other again soon. And yeah, hopefully within the next <laughs> few weeks, we are, we are making a plan. <laughs> so <laughs> every time I box her at the moment, I say, well, you got another mention on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I love it. It's so fun. So I mean, you must have, you've already shared some of the lessons um, 
from over the years and even just through the word kindred but you there must be so much to learn from farming life I'm sure there are tons and I, I can't wait to hear about your book but are there a couple that you could share with us that might be helpful for our, for the mothers who are listening what can we learn from farming life so good oh my goodness I I mean there's so many um I think that one of the one of the big lessons I've learned is that just the idea that amazing beauty can be created out of dirt and mess. Um, it's probably one of my biggest lessons from farming. Um, just that contrast of beauty and grit and that, that hard work and rest. Um, there is no beauty without the, the grit and the hard work that goes into that. Um, it, you know, there's that um, element of, we have to be involved in, in doing something. Um, and then we're rewarded with this amazing beauty at the end, you know, and, and our life has to have both. Um, if it's all beauty, it can kind of get a little boring because that's just not real life for anyone. Um, you know, real life is lived in those messy moments and we all have our struggles, but knowing that there's beauty in the midst of those struggles and not just later at the end, but in the journey itself, I've seen just every single day in farming. Um, and, you know, if life is all, all grit and all hard work, you get burned out. So you really need both. Um, <clears throat> so that's probably one of the big lessons I've learned. Um, and that I see every single day on the farm. Wow. Um, I mean, that's that in itself that needs a sailor moment, doesn't it? To think about, but I even, as you were describing it, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's why we have seasons. You can think about, we need the winter to appreciate yeah. the spring to then bask in summer to then you know prepare us for winter and, and I guess it's in all kind of cycles of growth and production we you need that don't you you do need both so good hand in hand yep and you know and then I hold this beautiful head of lettuce in my hands that looks like a gigantic rose and I just think of like all the steps that went into that and you know all the way months and months previous from when I started the seeds um, in winter, you know, and all the struggle that goes into that and keeping them warm and then planting them and tending them. And, and then you get the beauty at the end. And, and even along the way, you know, there's so much um, joy and goodness and digging your hands in the dirt and just seeing the little steps of growth along the way. Um, so yeah, it is a really lovely thing. And I think just in looking at our lives, that um, we don't need to wait for um, you know, the situation to be perfect or to strive for this perfect life that the beauty really is in the mess in, in the middle of the mess. And there's always something, there's always some light breaking through. There's always some growth happening and really looking for that. Um, so that's one of the big lessons. Um, another one is progress over perfection. That's kind of one of our mottos we have here on the farm. Love it. Yeah. Because Gosh, I've definitely struggled with perfection a lot of my life and just perfectionism and wanting, you know, the perfect grades or, or whatever. Um, and then just becoming a farmer, it is not even possible. <laughs> um, you know, we're dealing with natural elements. We're dealing with, um, you know, weather and, you know, seeds can get killed by a frost. Um, our irrigation lines can, can um, bust, but, you know, things are always happening that are, um, that need to be, you know, fixed and dealt with. So if we get hung up on perfection in farming, we will definitely fail. Um, but if we focus on progress, that keeps us moving forward and learning from our state mistakes and getting better at what we're doing. And so that's really what we need to focus on here. And I think it's great in life. I think about it all the time, just in my daily life outside of farming too, is just doing that next step forward. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than trying to um, have this like ideal in my mind, but just doing that faithful next step, um, you know, and, and I think that we can also be freed of a lot of fears. I think perfectionism is really driven by a lot of fear, but if we're focusing on progress instead, we can actually, I've found personally that I can be freed from a lot of my fears through just taking those step forwards and like in walking through them that I'm actually freed from a lot of those fears. Wow. So yeah. And, and it just helps me feel more connected to my purpose here. And, 
um, just that forward motion is, is really good. And I think that's where a lot of us get stuck in life is we get, we get stuck and we can't move forward. Um, so it's really helped me just being a farmer has really helped me a lot with that just in my normal life. So you, and I, I imagine you took those lessons into writing and publishing and all that you're doing now. I mean, so much of what you just said, I, could relate to and think wow yeah we need to be reminded of that every day can you tell us a little bit about I mean you already said you've blogged and by the way I love your blog I love your recipes I do <laughs> they're so great go and check them out guys I will put links in the in the show notes but can you tell us a bit about kind of how did you shift from that kind of blogging and and yeah. articles and stuff into um yeah signing a, a contract and now on a publishing journey how did that happen Sure. Well, like I said before, um, I have always written just because, I mean, it is what I have to do to create my, keep my creative soul alive. I write, I feel like I write because I have to, it's just what pours out of me. And it's just something I'll always, I've always done and will always do no matter what. And so kind of all this time I was blogging on my own, um, and, and then started kind of taking on some freelance writing projects just through various connections, like writing for some parenting blogs when I had really small children and, um, just continuing to do that throughout the years, even though I was in, you know, kind of the smaller child stage of parenting. Um, and then when I turned 40, I don't know, it just a light, a light, bulb went off and I was like, I, it's time, it's time to really go for some, some more opportunities and, and not shy away from asking for more opportunities. And I just, I don't know, I just felt this like surge of boldness that it was time to just go for it and, um, and just really be brave, even though it was kind of scary. And so I just started asking for some more opportunities and I ended up, um, being a contributing writer on the art of simple, which is, um, some people might know Tish Oxenreiter. Um, she's an author and she's been podcasting and blogging for since 2008. So she's, well, she's an incredible. So, yeah, yeah. Incredible author. Yeah. So great. And I've, I've always loved listening and being a reader and a listener of her podcast. And, and so I, um, asked if, um, she, I knew she was looking for, um, more people to contribute to her blog. And so I just kind of asked her that opportunity and, ended up being able to be a contributing writer on the website and a co-host of her podcast for, I guess, a year or two, um, which was amazing. And I didn't know I would love doing podcasting and it was so fun. I just, it was, I loved it. And um, it's interesting because there's one piece I wrote for the Art of Simple and it was about body image. It was really probably the most vulnerable thing I've written and just about my journey with body image um, and finding some freedom in that um, in a struggle that I've had for pretty much my whole life. And that's the article that caught the attention of a book editor. And I just love that it was the piece that was the most vulnerable thing. One of the hardest things I've had to write. Um, And that's what caught her attention. And so this editor contacted me and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is actually happening. Like my whole life I've wanted to write a book. And Um, I don't know. I think for some people that opportunity does drop in your lap, but for me, it really seemed like a culmination of a really long journey Yeah, and a long journey of just like being faithful with the work and putting in the work like 20 years, you know, of always writing and always doing, um, the thing that I'm really passionate about. And, you know, I'm thankful that, that someone saw that and gave me that opportunity. And so anyway, that led into, um, my publishing contract. And so um, I actually signed with Harper Horizon, their uh, division of Harper Collins. So that's super exciting. So um, oh, amazing. Yeah. So the book will come out next March. So it's a very, as you're finding out as well, it is a very long process. So long, so <laughs> yeah. long. And I, I don't know, my um, literary agent was so eager for me to kind of share the journey. She's a big believer in take take the people with you you know and yeah. I just feel like I keep saying sorry you're gonna have to wait so long <laughs> yes I know I'm like I want I really do want I think there is so much value of taking the people along with you and kind of showing yeah, yeah. them 
the different stages and everything. Um, and my agent, Jenny, um, at Illuminate Literary, she's been so, so helpful and so wonderful. I mean, of all the work, I don't, I don't think we even talked about this, but my background is in the music industry. That's, that's where, um, I started working at, that's my training from college. And I worked in the music industry for many years before I even met Steven. I worked in the Christian music and country music industry. So um, we did, okay, before social media, we did street team campaigns for new album releases and tours. Wow. <laughs> before, this is before Facebook. This is for Instagram. I mean, we, we worked with college students a ton and it was like, could you please go and put these 25 posters all around campus? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, it was true word of mouth marketing. Um, but I loved it so much. And, you know, just working in the music industry, I had tons of experience with marketing and promotion, but, but the publishing industry is so different. And so I've just like, I have felt very green. I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I am so grateful to have um, my agent, Jenny, and just a team of, you know, other people like Tish that I can ask questions yeah, yeah. books and just kind of get advice along the way. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if you're the same way too, but it's like, you don't really know what to do next. So you're just learning as you go and just taking the next step forward. Well, Christine, if you remember, you and I were boxing. I was like, help, <laughs> tell me all the things. You were one of the, um, yeah, I, th I can't remember. It was while I was doing my book proposal. I was like, I know who I could ask about this. Like, why does this feel like the hardest thing in the world? And it actually is harder than the book, isn't it? <laughs> it was hard. I know mine was like 22 pages long. Oh my word. I almost pulled an all-nighter finishing it. But I'm only like a tiny step forward or a little bit ahead of you in the process, like only a little bit. Um, so I'm just kind of sharing what I'm learning as I go. But if yeah, you just, if I think for me, I was looking for those people who were just on the learning curve a little bit further ahead. Okay, tell yeah. me the next. Tell me, and like your encouragement was so so. Uh, yeah, it meant so much to me. So uh, thank you for that. And we do. I think it's not something we do alone, isn't it? These, these projects are definitely um, you need people alongside you because it is unless you've done it before it's a completely different world <laughs> completely different world yeah. so so with that in mind could you um maybe share with us someone or a couple of people who who are inspirations to you whether in the past or, or current whether they're dead or alive who would you say is an inspiration to you oh dead or alive okay I didn't think about that um well I would say my broad answer is I'm really inspired by women who are showing up women who are just fully present in their lives and are living into who they're created to be. Um, not, not trying to live a life of perfection or perfectly curated, but um, kind of what I talked about before, people that are just finding beauty in the middle of the mess and in the, in the ordinary of our days. Um, and just finding that thing they have to offer the world and doing it and just going for it. Even if you're scared, even if you're afraid, I think those women have inspired me so much um, in general, um, you know, in real life, both my mom and my husband's mom, my mother-in-law are just amazingly strong women. Um, my mom is a pediatric nurse. She's worked her whole life with like really sick children and just is a very, very strong woman. And she has inspired me my whole life. Um, she's the one that first taught me to see beauty and to really like literally stop and smell the roses. Like She's the one that taught me that it, it's worth it to stop and pause and look at a flower outside my kindergarten window. Um, or on our trips, we, my mom and I have traveled a lot um, in the UK and Europe. She's the one that took me over there for the first time when I was about 11 or 12. And we always like pulled over. We, we like, we left room for adventure. So we would pull over if we saw a beautiful scene we wanted to get out and take a picture of. Yeah, we I'm all about that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And just leaving room for that adventure. And, um, but yeah. And then my husband's mom is really inspiring to me. I mean, goodness, she grew up on a farm and she has so much grit and determination. Like she can out harvest me when they come to visit our farm. She's just <laughs> and has worked really hard her whole life. Um, and just created a life for herself and, and it's really neat. So I'm inspired by them. Um, and you know, uh, there's different creatives that I love following. Um, 
Um, Anne Lamott is one of my favorite authors. I don't know if you've yes. read many of her books. Oh, I love Anne Lamott. I, I'm just waiting to get her newest book, actually. It's on my wish list at the moment. Me too. I'm trying to, I'm thinking of the books that have inspired me to kind of live my own life fully. Yeah. Um, that's what I love. And that's what I always loved about working with Tish as well is um, everything she put out there. It never made me feel like, oh, I wish I had a different life. No, it, absolutely. It always, yeah. It always helped me feel more invested. How can I be more invested in my own life? Right. Um, and that's what I love. That's what really inspires me. Um, Shauna Nequist. Um, yes. So her, her first book called Tangerines, like, yeah. oh my God, just. Really I've read them all. I'm a huge fan. So good and so inspiring. And obviously like her love of um, the table and, you know, food and sharing that with people and community has been really inspiring. And then there's women farmers that I follow that I love, um, you know, Lindsay Kramer yeah. um, at Yonder Way Farm. And it was so neat to get to meet her at that same Franklin uh, Wild and Free Conference. Oh, sure. um, and then it's just cool to like encourage each other in that. And she's a lot further along. She's been farming a lot longer than me. So I love to learn from her. And then um, another farmer, Andrea Bemis in Oregon. Um, she's written several books and I love following her journey too. And she's like a mom with a young baby and um, they have a produce CSA. And um, so, yeah, I'm really inspired by women that are just like working hard, but um, not just to work hard, they're doing their passion yeah. and bring, kind of bringing their family along with them. So um, I'm an Enneagram nine, so I can definitely fall into that place um, of like losing my own voice. And for a lot of my life, I believe that my own voice wasn't as valuable as others, that it wasn't as loud or boisterous, or, um, you know, I kind of had a more reserved personality. I was kind of more the artistic creative type. Um, and so I'm coming kind of come into my own in the last few years of realizing like my voice matters yeah. and that I have, a, I have something to bring to the world that's unique and special and I don't need to change to be like someone else. So, um, you know, women like that really inspire me to live my own life boldly in unique ways. So, so, so important. I didn't realize how, how alike we were. I also am an Enneagram nine, although Ooh. it took me, it took me years to get there. I mean, we don't, I don't want to go on a huge Enneagram tangent, but I thought I was a five for quite mm -hmm. a while, but I did, did a lot of work, read some books, talked through the three friends and realized the reason why I see myself in all of them is because I'm a nine. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's so interesting what you say about finding your own voice and even the confidence to, to use that voice. And, and, I, and you know, especially within the niche kind of work I'm doing currently within a particular you know, educational philosophy, where actually there's still a big crowd. Um, I, over the years, have questioned my place within that. And, and do I know what I'm talking about? Am I worthy enough to, to share my ideas? And really doing the work and growing is, is saying yes. Yeah, I, we all have our place. And not just doing the work for yourself, but welcoming others into that space mm -hmm. as well and that's been yeah a big part of my journey when um <clears throat> Shauna Nequist I, I just I've read everything of hers yeah, and um I was just slightly drooling at the idea of her blueberry crisp or the bacon wrapped dates when you were <laughs> talking <laughs> oh my word I have made that blueberry crisp so many times Me too. <laughs> it's so simple and healthy and so delicious every time um but that bread and wine that book I have on my dining room or my um kitchen counter at all times I just always have it there and yeah. it's like stained and dog-eared and um I love it but um I love you know, that. yeah and I just love that what you just said and I really think that what you're contributing is beautiful and unique and I think that sometimes we can get caught up with that and be like, oh, there's so many other people that have said this. Like, am I saying, you know, especially in like the homeschooling world, do I really have the unique, something unique to share? And I think what we do have unique to share is our own story. Like our own story and experience is different than anyone else's. That's right. And it's always going to be um, unique in that way. And it might be in, you know, we might all be talking about homeschooling, but none of us are talking about it in the same way and no one can replicate our own experience. And so 
yeah, just kind of remembering that as well, that um, we there is space for all of us to to show up, you know, and to contribute something. Yeah, and I it's it's so important, isn't it, to to recognize that in ourselves, but as <clears throat> you know, as leaders, as those who have been um, those of us who have been privileged to be able to write or speak about this kind of stuff, is that the the, the invitation for others? And and I think that's worked yeah. in all of us, isn't it? We all have to get past our I mean, half the time it's pride or it's, um, you know, insecurity and all that kind of stuff, but getting past that, welcoming others in mm -hmm. and being a place that is hospitable. And, I, and I've worked yeah. hard in all the spaces I work in to really try and do that. But it doesn't mean that I don't struggle. It doesn't mean that I often will question my voice. And I've got a couple of friends that I go to and I'm like, I'm having a wobble. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I love that expression. I'm gonna to have to start using that. I'm having a wobble. <laughs> love it's it. a good one. So, is there anything you're reading at the moment that you'd like to share with us? Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm one of those people that's always reading. I don't know if you're like this, but I'm always I reading am. like so many books at one time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know if that's good or not, but um, yeah, I have a hard time just like reading one thing and finishing it and moving on. But. Um, so I have a fun little book club with my a few friends. Um, we meet here in the barn and once a month. And so that's been such a sweet life-giving thing. Just we started it last January. So all through COVID, um, just having that space, we had to do it online for a little while. But um, for my book club right now, we're reading the new Kristen Hanna book, The Four Winds. Okay. Um, and I love her. She, her book, The Nightingale, a lot of people have read that one and that was just unbelievable. Um, so I'm really, really liking that. It's about like the 1920s depression era, um, Dust Bowl, um, Texas Panhandle setting in the US. So okay. I've never read anything. I'll have to add that to my list. Yeah. I love her as an author. Um, I think for book club, we try to choose, we, we mainly stick with fiction and that's, the only time I really read fiction right now, and I and I love that it's really cool to learn about different people groups, different perspectives, um, different people's stories, and so I've loved that about our book club, and just to have like the discussion time with with friends to kind of process things about that. Um, but then in my own reading, um, I am reading *An Altar in the World* by Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, I don't know if you've read that one. It's really no. beautiful. You're adding, you're adding to my already very yeah. large pile. <laughs> add, add it to the list. You'll love that book. Um, it talks about kind of the sacredness of our ordinary lives. Um, and and um, kind of the world of eco-faith, which is interesting. I've been thinking a lot about that lately and just my role Um creation as a believer in God how does that look in my daily life like what role do I have in the here and now um and just thinking about that as a farmer but um her you know kind of her premise of the book is that there's just little altars in the world in our daily life in the, in the way that we go about our our normal ordinary days um so it's been really beautiful wow. um and then I'm also reading um kind of a personal growth book by Seth Godin. Um, it's an older one of his. And this book is hilarious. I have had this on my shelf. I've, I've had this on my shelf since we lived in Dallas. So it has moved to like three different homes with us and I have never picked it up. Which one is and it? It's called what to do when it's your turn. And it's always your turn. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh my word. I feel like this is like, everyone should read this book, but this is an Enneagram nine, like gold book. Like it is just, it is so good. It, and, it, and I just know it was the right time for me to read it now. But, you know, just the premise behind that book is that um, we don't need to wait for someone to give us our turn to contribute what we are meant to, to give to the world, whatever that is, however big or small, um, that we're all here and we have our own voice and we have something to give and to contribute to humanity. And we don't need to wait for someone to call on us that it's always our turn. And we just need to step up and take our turn. Um, and that means showing up even when you're afraid and knowing that everybody's scared and just pushing through it and, and just seeing like, 
just kind of what we've talked about this whole time is just the beauty that un unfolds in that. Um, so it is really good and challenging. And it's, it's a really easy read because it has, um, it's very like creatively laid out, like each chapter is really short and there's lots of photos and in his cool style that Seth Godin does, but. So cool. He's yeah, so cool. cool. Um, and then let's see. Oh, and then I'm using the next right thing guided journal by Emily P. Freeman. Yep. I love that. I, I loved her book, the next right thing. I love her podcast. It's so helpful. And I really like the journal. It's helped me, um, just kind of process things. Um, there's space to kind of make notes of like, what's going on in your weekly life. Like what are, what are the little details that are filling your days? Um, and it really helps with like processing decision-making and looking for the arrows of where, um, you know, what, what's unfolding in your life and kind of pointing you down, down the journey to the next thing. Um, so it's been really helpful because I feel like I I'll often get journals and I'm like, oh, I don't really do it. You know, I, I do it for like a month and then that's it. Um, but this one's been really good. So, so I, you know, between you and I, Christine, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, she'll never listen, but um, <laughs> Emily P. Freeman, a friend and another fellow Enneagram nine and myself, we are convinced that she is a nine, although she says that she's a four. <laughs> <laughs> that's like you. You have got to listen in every week. I listen in to the next right thing. It's like lovely, like short little snippet of 15 minutes of podcast. Yes. And even the one she did last week, I was like, girl, I need to talk to you about being a nine because <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. You'll have to invite me on your podcast. <laughs> so funny. But I loved, I loved the podcast. I loved the book. And um, yeah, Seth Godin, I'm a huge fan of his. I have recently, we just bought The Practice. My husband and I are going to read that. Um, I've read quite a few of his, but he, I, I was listening to him on a podcast interview just about a week ago. And he was, he, he was saying how intentionally he is about writing the books and how he lays them out and how they're always short, short chap, um, yeah, short chapters. He said, because people don't need more than that. You can read it and do something about it in, in installments. And he's so smart. Yeah. And, you know, I think Seth Godin is the one that said, um, when you're actually writing that every single word and every single sentence should be there for a purpose and moving your reader along yeah. to to your overall purpose and if it's not take it out and so you can I, I thought about that a lot while I was writing my manuscript and um but his book this one and like all of his books like you said I mean it is so profound like just one page I have to put it down I'm like okay I could take one page a day because there's yeah. just so much to think about and so much to reflect on and um after each page so that's a really good one. He is great. He's absolutely amazing. Okay, well, to wrap up, um, Christine, why don't you share about as much as you can? I don't know how much you're allowed in these days to, about your book. And yeah. uh, when when do you think we'll be able to buy it? <laughs> yes, well, it will be releasing March 29th of next year. So um, like I said, it's a very long process, but um, I don't think I can share the title or anything yet since I've just turned it in for edits, but it will be a personal narrative. So it's, it's partly my own transformation story, just in my journey to what led to becoming a farmer and how it's changed me. And then part of it is an inspiration guide really for living a life, um, a deep nourishing life of connection right where you are. Oh, wow. So I really wanted the book to be something that um, was an invitation. That's kind of the word I just kept getting about it is I want this to be an invitation. Um, and so I'm sharing my story through it, but also giving ways for the reader to reflect and um, hopefully apply those things to their own life. So it's not just for someone that's interested in living on a farm. It's for anyone, no matter where you live, because the themes that I'm writing about are just themes of just us as humans and kind of things that need to be reclaimed um, in our life and um, kind of like what we've talked about this whole podcast of just that life of purpose and that life of connection with flesh and blood people.
Well, that's all we've got time for this week. If you loved it, why don't you go over to the podcast app, click on those five stars and maybe leave a couple of sentences to say what you've enjoyed listening to so far. Um, It's not just for me. I do love listening to them and reading them, but it's to help other people find the podcast. So if you can help me out that way, that would be amazing. Guys, did you hear that I'm writing you a book? Yes, Modern Miss Mason, the book, will be coming to you in 2022. I signed with Tyndale Publishing back in December, and I'm so privileged to be doing this. Um, I know it's a long time to wait, but we can do the journey together. If it's too long for you to wait, why don't you come over to Instagram or Facebook and hang out with me there, or you can join me on the Charlotte Mason Unbox course where I will walk you through implementing the Charlotte Mason philosophy in your home with complete freedom. Or if you'd prefer a cup of tea and a one-on-one conversation, I do have a coaching service. So you can book a coaching call with me and um, I'd love to do that. I'd love to see more of you and hear from you. The details of these connections and services are in the notes in the podcast, or you can click on the link in my Instagram account or head over to modernmissmason.com. I'll see you next week.